Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Profiteering is viewed as a negative act. The definition of profiteering is to, and I quote, make or seek to make an excessive or unfair profit, especially illegally or in a black market. However, this is only concerning profiting from another person's suffering. The absolute positive and even mandatory profiteering is the profiteering we do from our own suffering. It has been said that the reason Jewish people don't drink is because it interferes with our suffering, which leads us to our modern-day issue of this lecture. There is a perverse form of righteousness that stops us from profiteering from our suffering when in truth, from God's point of view, the only reason that we are suffering is for us to profiteer from the suffering. Nevertheless, in our perverse understanding of sin and punishment, we are afraid to profit at all, never mind excessive or unfair profit from this illegal black market of God's punishment upon us. Truth be said, the Talmud itself rules that the law must be careful of that the sinner should not profit. However, there the focus is on the sinner not making selfish profit, which will lead him to believe that it is worthwhile sinning. What if we are speaking of a person who is willing to do teshuva, return, repentance, in realizing that all benefits are not for sole selfish purposes, but of serving God and his fellow man? As a matter of fact, in holiday prayers we state, Because of our sins we have been exiled from our land and have been distanced from our land. However, in another teaching in the Talmud, it states, The Holy One, blessed be He, did not exile Israel among the nations, save in order that proselytes might join them. For it is said, And I will sow her unto me in the land. Surely a man sows a sa'ah, a small measurement, in order to harvest many core, a large measurement. Yet, majority of people do not know how to profiteer from their own suffering, and with this, the suffering becomes permanently real, for it serves no greater purpose for God and for God's universe. In this Mimer of the Rebbe, based on the Jews' purpose in exile, we will, be, we will be overcome our need for suffering for suffering's purpose and unleash God's gift of potential within suffering. King Solomon, in his Book of Songs, states, and I quote the Pasuk, You who sit in the gardens, the friends hearken to your voice, let me hear it. Which gardens are King Solomon speaking of? Rashi says the following. The Holy One, blessed be He, says to the congregation of Israel, You who are scattered in exile, grazing in the gardens of strangers, and sitting in synagogues and study halls. Thus, on the one hand, the gardens refer to the house of prayer and the house of study. And yet, on the other hand, it refers to the house of prayer and of study, specifically in the times of exile, when we are grazing in the gardens of strangers. Why? Additionally, there are two other verses, one before this one and one immediately after, that we need to know for this lecture. So I will quote and translate them both now. A. The verse immediately following is, Flee, my beloved, and liken yourself to a gazelle or to a fawn of the hinds on the spice mountains. This verse is speaking of the Jewish people saying to God, Flee like a gazelle from this exile and run to the spice mountains, which refer to Mount Moriah, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. B, the second verse, mentioned some ways before our verse, is Go around like, liking yourselves, my beloved, to a gazelle or to a fawn of the hinds on distant mountains. 
The verse is speaking of God being in exile, distant mountains, with us, being like a gazelle who sleeps with one eye open and like a fawn which always looks back, meaning that God, even in exile, is watching over us. Let us go on and take a deeper look into the spice mountains and the distant mountains. And now for the list of the mystical concepts we need to explore in order to understand this lecture. A. Body, the external, and soul, internal, of exile. B. Spice mountain. C. Distant mountain. D. Incense, which is the number 11, versus sacrifice, which is the number 10. And then finally, E. The seeds and its harvest. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. I want to first just explain our verse a little bit better. We already explained the two dynamics of gardens, in which they are truly two halves of one whole, one the internal and the other its external level. The word Hayoshevet, he who sits, has two meanings. One is to temporarily sit, and the other is from the Talmud, which I quote to you, Rabbi Yochanan said, sitting, Yoshev, here means only staying, as it says, and he stayed in Kadesh many days. Thus the sitting is in the gardens of strangers, exile. However, the staying, even in exile, is only of the house of prayer and the house of study. When the verse says, friends, the friends hearken to your voice, it is referring to angels which come to hear the prayers and Torah study of the Jewish people. One of the reasons that angels are called friends is because of what the Midrash states, ministering angels are called friends because they have no jealousy, no hatred, and no competitiveness. The verse then closes with, let me, God, hear it. Rashi explains this as, and afterwards they will declare God's sanctity as it is said, when the morning stars sing together, these are the Israelites, and afterwards, and all the angels of God will shout. Let us understand what is happening here in the verse. The Jewish people are in exile, and there they are praying and studying. The angels come to hearken because human egocentric letters and words of prayer and study, are, Torah study, are stained by ego. And ego is the one thing that stops these words from entering into heaven, the realm of purity, humility, and transparency. Therefore, the angels need to embrace them, hug them, and kiss them, meaning the letters and the words, in order to cleanse them from their stains. In this stage, the angels are higher and come to cleanse and elevate them to where the person cannot on his own. However, after this, God says, let me hear it which Rashi explains that now the Jewish people are reaching to a place beyond the capacity of even the angels, and thus, and all the angels of God, will shout. The mystical reason for this is that it is specifically the Jewish people are doing these prayers and Torah studies in the gardens of strangers in exile. It is through the Jewish people getting past the external layer of sitting in the gardens of strangers and living within the internal layer of staying in the house of prayer and house of study that we reach even beyond the capacity of ministering angels. This, my friends, is the deepest power and blessing of profiteering from our own suffering of being in exile. To fully understand this, we are going to now dive into the next concept, the difference between the Spice Mountain and the Distant Mountains. The Zohar states, He sends the fragrance of Mount Moriah, and why is it called Moriah? On behalf of the good Moor which was there. This is why Mount Moriah is referred to in our verse as Spice Mountain, Moor, 
the mirror. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. Thus, why does it have to do with fragrance? It is the Mount of the Holy Temple, which also housed the Supreme Court of 71, from which all final rulings of the Torah came forth. Why then is it called Spice Mountain? Note, we will discuss later the reference here to the incense rather than to sacrifices. Let's go back to the Torah study, the courthouse. The Talmud upon the verse in Isaiah quotes concerning the final days when Mashiach will come. And he shall be animated by the fear of God, and neither with the sight of his eyes shall he judge, nor with the hearing of his ears shall he chastise. The Talmud expounds upon this verse. Rabbi said, He smells a man and judges, as it is written, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Yet with righteousness shall he judge the poor. The extrapolation of the Talmud is on the Hebrew word for, and he shall be animated, the herichu, which is also from the word reach, smell, fragrance. The faculties of sight and hear are relative and subject to interpretation of the individual's paradigm. However, smell is mystically connected to the essence of the soul, which is why when someone faints, we use smelling soul to revive him. This is why with righteousness he will judge, is specifically because he is judging with smell, which is connected to the essence of the soul. Now we see that the verse is referring to Mount Moriah as Spice Mountain, is referring to the greatest revelations of Mashiach after the final redemption, which is brought about specifically through our studying Torah while in the distant mountains, the gardens of strangers, which is referring to exile. The reason for reaching this essence of smell of Spice Mountain is only because we transform the distant mountains into becoming the Spice Mountain with our prayers and Torah studies. Let us now explore exactly what the distant mountains are. The Hebrew word in the verse for distant is boser. In Hasidus, the word is defined from the verse in Genesis, vayiboser, and he cut, separated. Thus, mystically speaking, the verse is talking about the mountains of separation. This then takes us to another verse in Genesis, and a river flowed out of Eden to, the, to water the garden, and from there it separated, and it became four heads. On a mystical level, Eden represents absolute divinity, unity, and transparency. It is within. There is then a river of divinity and life force that flows out and continues to descend, contract and conceal, and thus separates and embodies an ego and arrogance seeing itself as heads of its own. This descent of separation and ego runs to the very bottom of it all, which is the physical world of darkness and separation from the divine presence point of view. So too it is within the microscopic universe, which is the human, in which the descent of ego, arrogance, and separation runs to the lowest lifeless faculty of physical action. This descent is what Genesis, the story of creation, is all about, the evolution of ex nihilo from the infinite light to the finite physical world. However, the ultimate perversion in creation begins with exile. This is when the feet of the presence, God's presence, are pushed away by sin into becoming God's presence in exile. This too manifests itself deeply within the Jew, who in his, her source, comes from the supernal face, meaning supernal interior essence, living in a face-to-face -face relationship with God, 
Thus, when the Jew is in exile under the domination of other nations and their back-to-back relationship, the Jew and the supernal essence face of God within them are deeply in exile. This is what the mountains of separations are all about, the exile in which God himself is with us. The transformation of the mountain of separations into the Sebais mountain is why God allows for this deep descent of mountains of separation to happen in the first place. As Kabbalah and Hasidus state, descent for the sake of ascent, as the crouch of the lion before it pounces up high. The Talmud, from the language of the Talmud, this is called destroying for the sake of building in which the destruction is legally categorized as construction, for example, breaking a hole in the wall for the sake of building a doorway. So too, all of the descent in creating the universe and even the greater descent brought about through mankind, bringing the universe, the Jew and God, into exile, is all for the sake of some good profiteering, reaching unprecedented heights and profits from the black market of evil. Now let's see how this verse, how this works. I mentioned earlier when speaking of the Spice Mountain that hidden in this name is a service of incense in which we bring 11 spices upon the inner altar. There are two altars in the Holy Temple. One was the earthen altar in the courtyard upon which all the sacrifices are brought. Then there is the golden altar inside the Holy Temple upon which the daily incense was brought. The verses, when speaking of the spiritual effect of sacrifice, states over and over a pleasing fragrance before God. Thus, the sacrifices already connect us to Mount Moriah being the spice mountain of essence fragrance. Why then does the verse more specifically hint to the incense? The answer lays hidden within the number of spices used in the incense, which is 11. In Kabbalah and Hasidis, the number that represents holiness is 10. In the Book of Formation, it states concerning holiness, 10 and not 11. However, impurity is called 11 crowns of impurity. The reason why impurity is called 11 is because there are 10 vessels and the infinite light. In holiness, the vessels are open to be penetrated by the infinite light, to the point that the light and the vessels become one. This is why we don't count the infinite light separately, and the total is 10. However, impurity in its ego and arrogance doesn't allow itself to be permeated by the infinite light. And therefore the vessels are separated from the infinite light as the infinite light can now only encompass the vessels from the outside. And therefore the emanations of evil are counted as 11, the light and the 10 vessels. This concept gets even deeper when we see that one of the incense used is frankincense of which it is said a spice whose smell is bad, and upon which the Talmud rules, we thus find that the frankincense may be compounded as profane goods and then dedicated to the temple. It doesn't need to actually be compounded in holiness. Even deeper yet, all sacrifices can only be brought from that which is kosher to eat, while the incense has within it mir. According to many authorities, the mor here is not mir but musk. This is an extract taken from the musk deer, which lives in Nepal and Tibet. Thus incense, unlike sacrifices, is dealing with elevating the impurities. The musk is not kosher. Why, however, are the emanations of impurity called crowns? The answer is found in 
the Zohar in their source, I'm sorry, in the source as stated in the Torah. And these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Thus we see two things. A, the source of the eleven crowns of impurity is called kings. And B, they are before, meaning higher than Israel. In Kabbalah, this is explained as the evolution source of impurity being the world of Tohu, chaos, which comes before the evolution source of holiness, which is Tikkun, orderliness. The world of Tohu is the realm of powerful infinite light and thin vessels. This imbalance created the chaos of the world of Tohu, super powerful but dangerously imbalanced. Kabbalah tells us that the vessels of Tohu were not able to sustain the infinite light and the vessels shattered with its pieces falling into this world. The world of Tikkun is the realm of contracted light within thick vessels. Tikkun is set up so that the vessels can sustain its light in an orderly fashion, hence the name Tikkun, orderliness. The evolution of an imbalanced Tohu, the shattering of Tohu, the world of Tikkun, and the sparks of Tohu falling into Tikkun is all for but one final reason, so that we can refine the world of Tikkun elevate the fallen sparks of Tohu and end up with lights of Tohu in vessels of Tikkun. This, by the way, is the inside story of Esau, Tohu, being the firstborn favored by Isaac, however, fallen into evil in the world of Jacob, Tikkun. And therefore, Rebekah realized that the blessings meant for Esau, Tohu, must be delivered into the vessels of Jacob, Tikkun. The fullest measure of bringing lights of tow in vessels of Tikkun, which then brings us to the depths of the Spice Mountain, the essence of smell, is through the incense, which is in the realm of Tohu, being eleven and not ten, being of the bad smell of frankincense, and including within them itself the non-kosher spice of the mirror, the musk. Now we can understand the depths of our verse, that the gardens of the house of prayers and the house of study, Tikkun, is specifically so only when it is in the garden of Tohu, the garden of strangers. This is how the great Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, explains the Talmudic teaching mentioned earlier. The Holy One, blessed be He, did not exile Israel among the nations save in order that proselytes might join them. Taking into consideration how few proselytes have been gathered in the 2,000 years of exile, this teaching really needs some explanation. The Arizal explains that we are not speaking just of human proselytes, but of the sparks of tow which have fallen into impurities and need to be converted into holiness. Thus God planted His seed, the Jewish people, into the gardens of strangers in order to reap a huge harvest of lights of tohu in vessels of tikkun. The way that the Jewish people produce this harvest is by seeing past the outer shell of the sitting in the gardens of separation and seeing the eternal staying in the houses of prayer and of Torah study and their overspill into actions of good deeds. The strength for this comes from our realizing that even when we are in exile, God, like a gazelle, sleeps, state of exile, with one eye open, protecting us, and like a fawn of hinds, who always look back at us, protecting us. This, is, this in turn creates within us the deepest yearning to return back home to our spice mountain, driving us to transform the mountain of separation, the fallen sparks of Tohu, into the oneness of the essence smell of the spice mountain. 
In closing, the key to profiteering is to see in our loneliness of suffering that God is right there with us as a gazelle with one eye open and as a fawn of hinds protecting us, loving us, and empowering us. It is only when we feel loved and protected in our suffering that we realize that the only reason why God has us suffering is for the purpose of profiteering. What is amazing is... Those who feel unloved can't even profit in times of goodness, joy, and abundance, while those who feel loved, even in their suffering, can profiteer even from the deepest experience of suffering. The practical solution, therefore, is keep in mind the picture of the gazelle and the fawn of hinds referring to God, who always loves us, protects us, and empowers us, and then go and make an excessive or unfair profit, especially from illegally suffering or in the black market of exile. Friends, modernity offers growth, and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here, at the platform of the Jewish mind, is where modernity meets Judaism.